Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 25. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas. And in this episode, you will listen to Aaron Hurley's interview. Aaron is a black belt in jiu-jitsu and the founder of Submit the Stigma, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and awareness campaign within the jiu-jitsu community that promotes education, discussion, and support for mental illness and those who are affected. She began promoting this campaign in honor of her father, Robin Hurley, who died by suicide in July of 2015. She mentioned that her dad suffered from isolation and from some undiagnosed mental illness. Erin talks about the stigma of mental health and the importance of reaching out. Also, listen to my final thoughts at the end of the interview, where I expand on her submit the stigma message. Stay tuned right after Live Jiu-Jitsu's message. Oos. On October 26, 27, and 28, I had the opportunity to participate at the 2018 RMNU training camp in Tampa, Florida with my brothers Hobson Mora and Bruno Bastos. We were able to promote a fundraiser for Live Jiu-Jitsu and for more specifically Projeto Gaditas from the south of Brazil, which has an amazing story. I will post the link of the podcast episode I released about their project. And we were able to raise $2,500 in between the raffle and 100% of the sales of the BJJ Metal Coach products like t-shirts, patches, hats, and the book Launching Your BJJ Competition Journey After 30, 10 Steps to Maximize Your Tournament Experience. If you'd like to know more about the event and to donate to a specific project, please visit www.livejujitsu.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Erin Hurley. She is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Rubens Charles Cobrinha, and she is the founder of Submit the Stigma, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and awareness campaign within the jiu-jitsu community that promotes education, discussion, and support for mental illness and those who are affected. The goal is to make mental health as important as physical health, to make mental well-being a priority. Jiu-jitsu offers many benefits that help those with various mental disorders. Physical activity can alleviate symptoms of anxiety, depression. It requires mental stimulation that can offset debilitating depression and brings together all walks of life in a supportive, intimate atmosphere. The Submit the Stigma campaign aims to promote these benefits and start the necessary discussion of mental illness. Erin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So tell us a little bit of how jiu-jitsu get into your life. And I had actually, we were talking a little bit before the interview, I mentioned that the previous episode was with someone with a nonprofit organization Jensen Azarias was a great interview, and that's cool that we're bringing some. This is not the first or the second. We have other nonprofits too, so hopefully, I can mm-hmm. keep doing this more and more. But how how did Jiu Jitsu show up in your life? So I was kind of more of like an aggressive female, maybe like a tomboy, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm the type of girl that if I liked a guy, I wasn't gonna like twirl my hair and stuff. I was gonna 
punch them or something or make fun of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I was actually in the hardcore scene, like hardcore punk music. So it was kind of this subculture. Everyone knows everyone. And there was an online forum and this guy was coming out to to compete. There's a lot of overlap, right? So you have like the subculture of surfing and jujitsu and the subculture of like jujitsu and music, right? So this was kind of that case. So when I met this guy, I said, Hey, why don't you hang out when you're coming out here for your little tournament wrestling thing? And, uh, we met up and he goes, Hey, can you bring me to the tournament? And that was when the, the pans was on and it Mm -hmm. was, uh, at Cal State Dominguez Hills in Carson. What year was that? 2008. Mm -hmm. So I go there and he kind of teaches me about it. And, um, it was really awesome. I saw girls competing and like at the time it was, I think it was still Brown and black belts together. So I saw a match like that with uh, two females and I'm like, Oh my God, I could do this, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was never athletic ever. Um, I did girl scouts for like 15 years. I did it way past when it was cool because my mom put me in as a kid and then I just sort of stayed with it. And, you mm-hmm. know, as you get older, you start putting on the encampments for the kids. Um, you know, the, the kind of things that you used to go to as a kid. So it kind of became full circle. So, um, I wasn't really a part of anything except for band and whatnot. So, uh, I signed up, but it took me about a year to get into a gym. Um, and that's because I had social anxiety and I didn't know how to start, you know, and my friend was like, I would do it, but I don't have money for it and whatever else. So I was like, just go with me one day. So I decided she went with me and they're like, cool, come back tomorrow and, and start your first class. So I did. And I knew a couple guys that were training there. So that kind of helped me ease into it. But for sure, you know, you put on a gi and you're like, what is this thing? I feel so weird. And especially being a girl, there were no other girls when I started. And I was really lucky living in LA. I I went to a gym that I found on Yelp. Basically, I just looked up some reviews, walked in, and it ended up being the gym of Hamala Bahal, who, Mm -hmm. you know, is a really awesome guy. And I got to kind of be in on, on his intro, right? Like so he had just started teaching people and it was a small group of people and it was awesome. And I got a lot of attention. And, um, I just felt that it was something like, wow, I can actually use my body to, to be empowered. Um, so I didn't go in there as self-defense. I didn't go in there to lose weight. Although obviously losing weight was an awesome, you know, benefit to it, but it was just to compete. You know, I saw a competition and was like, cool, I want to, I want to do that. And I thought that a lot of people competed and it's really, you know, you have gyms where no one competes. Um, so that was just my aspect of it that I saw that I wanted. I wanted the sport aspect. And so um, it was a way to challenge myself and kind of like be the star, but not in terms of like being in a dance recital or having a spotlight and trying to memorize lines or choreography and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was literally people were there to support me to like fight someone. (laughs) Um, And it was awesome. So I really enjoyed and I, and I always felt that the competition aspect, which I started three months in, I was a white belt and, um, it was like, it was so intense, you know, uh, and having everybody looking at you and then your opponent is trying to like choke you out. And, you know, then there's the time and you're worried about all these things. You're just trying to remember what the hell your coach had just taught you because you have limited, right? Three months in, I had very limited, um, knowledge of jujitsu, but it made it easier. It's like, well, I only know one takedown. I only know how to pass the guard one way. Um, and then from, from there, it just took off. I loved it. Yeah, it's awesome. And one of the things that I talk in my academy is, as of course, as I matured as, as a black belt, as a coach and studying more personal development and so forth, how I start to really enforce even more the importance of competing in jiu-jitsu. It's such an incredible personal development tool. It's just incredible oh, yeah. because you're dealing with your emotions, you're dealing with under pressure situations, you know, and 
people who, when you start, people can start practicing that actually having fun in, in a tournament and how now it comes down to how well can you transfer all that to your personal professional life, you know, dealing right, with right. You know, how to deal with the emotions. So this is amazing. This is something that I always hear that people say, man, you should try compete at least once in jujitsu. And I agree 100% just to mm-hmm. go through the process of preparation, the focus that you get. And I just love the personal development aspect. So of course you have to be open for it and you know, for the growth because some people you have a different approach or are they going to lose and they're going to blame or whatever. But in knowing that there's so much to learn about yourself when you're in an under pressure situation, like tournaments, you know? Absolutely. So how do you feel BJJ relates to life? Well, I think, you know, you're from the beginning, you're put in uncomfortable situations, right? And it's funny because you're, you can't lie on the mat. Um, Mm -hmm. Everything that you do, you're dealing with it with a little reaction time right? So when you choose to start sparring or when your professor allows you to start sparring when you're starting to train, you know, you're put in these situations and you're like, wow, all of a sudden I have to rely on what I learned, you know, three weeks ago. And I don't, I don't get to think like, oh, excuse me, can you hold on while I think about Mm -hmm. what this technique was that I learned? You're just reacting, reacting, reacting. And at the time I had a lot of anxiety in my life and um, that was my issue. I was reacting instead of logically deciding my next step in life. It could be anything, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. And I would just be gung ho on like, oh my God, life sucks or oh my God, life is great. And so I had this ability uh, to learn how to process information at a faster rate and not feel like I'm being under attack because my emotions would always make me feel like I was under attack. Um, I've always been very sensitive. So being able to literally fight back um, and stay poised and just, and, and sit there and think, okay, I have a solution for this. Let me go in my brain and practice this. And so to go back to training every single day, working harder and harder on that, Um, on being able to retain information and then process it at a fast rate to deal with whatever comes my way, it literally translates to life. Um, And it took me a long time to translate that to my life because it's funny, I always joke that I I started out as a guard player because I feel like being a guard player is you're setting up an equation or a problem for this guard passer, right? There's a little bit more freedom because the person on top kind of has to react almost. Um, in most cases. So I felt like in my life, I was always creating problems, (laughs) Um, not sort of like solving them, just sort of like going after stuff, not really thinking things through and being very reactionary. Um, And also, obviously, dealing with someone bigger and stronger, I was never intimidated because I felt safe, right? It was a very, very safe environment. And I knew that my professor wasn't going to put me with someone who was going to hurt me. Um, And if anyone ever did, it would be an accident and that I learned how to communicate with people. Um, there are times when a guy would go for a submission and I knew it wasn't a real submission. It just like hurt a lot, like some weird choke, you know, and I had to decide either I freak out on this guy, either I yell at him or I don't tap and I have an ego or, you know, and so being a female in jujitsu, you have to kind of stand up for yourself and say, you know, Hey, that makes me uncomfortable or Hey, and that's not just a female thing, but it happens more to females. Right. Mm -hmm. So any, any training partner, you learn how to communicate with people and you learn how to stand up for yourself in a way and be able to deal with confrontation because that's what happens, right? Egos get in the way and, and whatnot. It's a war, right? When you start sparring and obviously as you get higher up and higher up, you learn how to communicate better. You learn how to do the moves better 
and you learn how to react better. So for me personally, it was just being able to plan uh, a, a route, right, in life and in jujitsu, and then try to uh, go with the punches and mm-hmm. be able to, uh, you know, not freak out all the time. Because <laughs> jujitsu, if you didn't train jujitsu and someone was doing jujitsu with you, you'd freak out. You'd be like, get off of me. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. Um, And so you kind of learn to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations and you're like, okay, this isn't so bad. I I have a solution for this, you know, that's what helped most. Now, I know about the story of the Submit to Stigma and listened to your talking about it before, but for all the listeners are not familiar. And because I want to know, when did you have the spark? you know, to pursue the vision. And as I mentioned, I know the story, but so you can share with, mm-hmm. uh, with the listeners, when was it and what is behind the submit the stigma? So I always talked about my mental health and, and, uh, I was ne- I wasn't always kind of like this, uh, authority figure in my own life. Right. I always, like I said, I was always reacting. It was always, why is this happening to me? And why am I this way? And so I use social media. I always use social media. I had a, I had a screen name, like an AIM screen name since I was eight. Um, and I was constantly online. I had live journal, I had Zanga, I had all these things that I would just put my emotions out there. And like, you know, you have these emotional away messages where like, you're sad. So you put this like sad music lyric and people are like, what's wrong? And you're like, I don't want to talk about it. So for me, it was always like, I wanted people to know when I was sad or I was stressed, but I didn't know how to communicate that. I didn't know how to say this is my mental health speaking I thought it was just me so it was a probably around like um you know blue belt level I would say like 2012 I started realizing that I had more control than I thought I did um and I sought out therapy and and whatnot and I was able to communicate to people like hey there is something you can do about it and I wasn't ashamed to say yep I'm feeling really down today you know and sometimes you ask for that help and when we grow up you, you know my generation that that generation where it's like online, if people think that you're asking for attention, that it's a negative thing. And I've grown to be like, yep, I am asking for attention, right? It's my Instagram, it's my social media, I am asking for attention. And if sometimes I wanna put something out there to say, hey, I'm not doing so well today, and that cues people to, to contact me and say, hey, I hope everything's okay, what's wrong? Then hell yeah, that's, that's my mental health. Um, that's me looking out for myself. So, uh, fast forward to 2015 is when my dad took his own life. And that was really hard for me because, uh, I didn't see it coming. Um, and you know, we had a very like tumultuous relationship and, and a lot of times you, you take things personally. You don't, you know, later and later after you're like, wow, is that the mental illness or was he really just an asshole or was he just doing asshole things, you know, because of the way that he was feeling? I don't know. I'll never know. But I know he was actually a great guy deep down. And so that's how I get to choose to remember him. And so when that came out and I, I flew back to California and it's me, my mom, my sister, um, being the type of person that really likes to put my life out there, um, that's the connection I have with the world is social media. So when I put stuff out there and I've got people contacting me, um, you know, relating to me, that's powerful, right? empathy, connection. That is the biggest thing that I strive for. And I didn't realize that. I thought I was just an attention seeking, you know, like lonely person, but really, no, I, I enjoy when someone says, Hey, me too. Hey, I've been there. Hey, that sucks that you're going Mm -hmm. through that. I understand. Sometimes people need to hear that. So when I knew I wanted to release this information, I was really sort of like proud. It was a really weird feeling, you know, like you, you know, you have my dad died by suicide and oh my God, that word suicide. 
So you'll find that a lot of people are like embarrassed or there's that stigma against it where they'll say, oh, you know, oh, he passed, he died. They don't say the details of it, right? Um, and so that's when you can kind of figure out usually that's what happened. Um, and so it almost like it's shame for the family and that you think that you should have done something or you could have done something, right? Mm-hmm. So there's all these different things, that, these ideas that come come with um, when someone completes suicide. So when I was um, – uh, thinking about how I was going to release this information, I thought, all right, well, I'm going to do this in a productive way. So not only am I going to tell people that, yeah, my dad uh, completed suicide, I'm going to say, here, help me support this cause. Help me, help me to uh, make the National Alliance on Mental Illness something that you think about now. Because if you care about me, you can care about something that my, that, that my dad would have benefited from. And I always say that jujitsu has saved my life in that way. I have an outlet. I have something that helps me, helps me have a support system and, and, um, connection with people physically, uh, you know, spiritually, even, you know, you're connecting to people. So I always assume if my dad had something similar to that, he would be alive today. So my message has always been, okay, let's not be afraid of this word suicide because it happens so often. So, um, I put up a GoFundMe account and then I had about like over $6,000 was raised. But most importantly was that people reached out to me and said, yeah, I've been there or yeah, my, my mom passed that way or, or, you know, I've, I've tried to, to end my life before. And so I have all these people reaching out and obviously in the jujitsu community, because by now I've got like one friend outside of the jujitsu community. It's like my whole life. Um, and I realized there was a need. There was a need for someone to stand up and say, look, there's a lot of us who are very sensitive in this community and we need to look out for each other. Um, so that's where Submit the Stigma came about. And my mom and my sister like came on board and they don't even train, but they've mm-hmm. always supported me in my jiu-jitsu, right? So I've been able to have them really help. And we made this a nonprofit and it made it something that we could sh- share with people, right? So we have like merchandise and patches. It started with patches. And so the idea is that I want to spread this awareness that mental health is there. We can't ignore it, right? And you can't ignore it. If you are suffering, find professional help. And if you're suffering, reach out to people. And if you're able to talk about it, we, we kind of like dumb it down. Like, you know, like when there's like a bad word, oh my God, don't say that word. Um, we're scared of it. We're confused about it. We have all these ideas that we don't want to talk about. There's a lot of myths that happen. So with suicide, it's like, I put it all out there. Yeah, this happens. This is the way my dad died. This is why I think he did it, but I'll never know. And this is my grief, this, this confusing morning of grief. Um, and yeah, people have been able to relate. So I did it for myself. I'm not going to lie. Like mm-hmm. I reached out to people. Um, and they helped me and now I help them. And it's like this whole cycle. And now I feel like submit the stigma has become its own, its own identity. Um, I don't even feel like I'm an authority figure on it. It's literally something that I started and it's just spreading like wildfire, like literally all over the world. That's awesome. And now when you decided to start submit the stigma, this question I have usually for the entrepreneurs, when they're about to have the spark, they want to do something. And sometimes they have the you know, some of the fears, doubts, insecurities that come up that can prevent them to pursue something. Or even I talk with Jensen also, what are some of the fears and doubts that came in? Can I, can I really get this out? Should I do this? And, you know, all those questions. So did you deal with some of those internal battles and how did you deal with it, you know, before you, you launched Submit to Sigma? 
Um, well, I didn't set it up as it was a business, right? I never said, okay, I'm going to start this out as a business model and this is how we're going to get money. And I, I didn't even pay attention to that. Right. Mm -hmm. So it truly was a movement from my heart and it was something that I was already doing. So people like what, what makes this weird, um, is that I feel like people knew that I was struggling with mental health and that I've always been open. I've always been kind of like this oversharer anyways. So if people didn't want to know they knew, um, there were times that I even would break down at Cobrinas when I was training, I would, I would just stop and I would go cry somewhere. I'd say, I got to go home, you know? And he's like, why? And I said, I don't know. I just have this overwhelming anxiety or I don't get a partner. And I'm just all of a sudden, like, everybody hates me and I got to go. Um, so, you know, it's, it wasn't a secret that I had dealt with my own stuff. But then having my dad die this way um, was almost like credibility. And I know that sounds very weird, but it was like now people were like, whoa, that's serious. And now she's really experienced something. And she, she wasn't lying. She really does have this experience, you know, have, mm -hmm. have these issues. Um, and not only that, people who go through it and don't talk about it, how are other people supposed to relate? How are other people supposed to, you know, like, the, you know, one of the first things I did when I got the call um, about my dad dying uh, was I called a friend, Charlene, who I had trained with um, at Cobrinas, and I called her up and I said, I don't know what to do, but I just found out that my dad died and I know that you don't have a dad. Can you talk to me, you know? It was literally within the same hour that I had been, you know, told the news. I was just trying to reach out to someone who could understand. Um, and that's like, what do you do? Right. And so no one ever talks about, Hey, my, my son died this way or, or my dad or, or whatever. So it's like, you just feel really, really, um, alone. And you're like, what do I, I can't just all of a sudden put a tweet out there and be like, well, my dad shot himself. You know, it, it just, it shocks people. It scares people. Um, so I felt like I had this almost burden to like, kind of like ease this in and, and I didn't want to sit there and be like, my dad died, um, or my, my dad shot himself or whatever. Um, but I remember being on that flight home and feeling that way. Like I was just on the verge of tears, obviously, and anything was going to set me off. And all I wanted to do was scream at the top of my lungs. Like my dad killed himself. You know, is there anyone out there that can understand? So that's, that was my drive to like, make sure that no one else would feel that way. Um, at least within my community, right? I, I'm not making this global in terms of like mainstream media. That's really hard reach. But the people that I affect, that I connect to, that I have on social media, that I meet at seminars, that I meet everywhere. It's a small community. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to, to get around. And so that's what I wanted to do. So yeah, I had, I had fears in terms of people, um, you know, not understanding Mm -hmm. or it not taking off and me just being like, yeah, mental illness. Yeah. And people being like that weird girl over there, you know? Um, but thankfully that first move, that first GoFundMe and having people reach out and realizing that other people related to me, that was like, yes, Aaron, you're headed in the right direction. This is all good. So even before I, I made a name for it, even before I made patches, made this like a, an awareness campaign, uh, held the sign on the podiums. Um, you know, people were already reaching out and being like, yep, I, I agree, or I, I get you. Mm -hmm. Now, as you mentioned, being an awareness campaign, what would you like to share with the listeners today about the, you know, we've been talking about, of course, the idea of Summit um, the Sigma, but anything more specific that you, that you want to share that people can, as we talked a little bit before, um, start recording, it could be teammates, could be at home, could it be coworkers, just be different behaviors that it maybe see. I don't know if it's how to recognize them, but what concept or message specific you like to be a main takeaway for the listeners? 
about this episode? So mental wellness, right? Um, the, the presence, or I would say the absence of mental illness does not guarantee that you have mental wellness. You can eat correctly, you can work out, you can train, but if you don't have healthy relationship with yourself and your mind, you're not technically healthy. So people like to think of health as just physical. That's it right? Oh, I have a headache. Oh, I have this. Oh, I have, I, I sprained my wrist in training, whatever it is. Um, and even then some people don't go to the doctor and take care of themselves, but at least, you, you know, you realize there's an issue and then other people can go, oh yeah, you have an issue, you're injured. But what happens when you just feel down and you can't even explain it to others? You don't even feel like going to training and people, you know, people like to say, oh, you're lazy. Oh, you're weak. Oh, it's, what do you do? You know, oh, you're not training when really there's serious anxiety or depression or, or bipolar or whatever else, um, or you're just feeling down. Um, so people need to, to really prioritize their mental health. How do you talk to yourself? How do you talk to others? Like, how do you feel about yourself? That voice in your head is the voice that you hear most often, right? Um, and also, so it's like, I want people to be able to contact each other about these, these issues, right. And be open about it. And so by being open, I mean, yeah, open your doors, open the conversation, but also be open to receiving. Um, so even though you, you don't have a mental health, uh, illness diagnosis, you can still experience things like depression, right? Imagine going through a loss, imagine training for three months straight every single day beating up your body for the world championships and you lose your first match. I know so many people, myself included, I'd be suicidal after. I'd be like, oh my God, I'm worth nothing. I put everything into this and here I go losing my first match. How embarrassing. I'm apologizing to my coaches and whatever else, right? But in the end, you got to realize that it's you and yourself out there. And you got to look out for yourself and know that you're awesome no matter what. And also when you see people in training, right, we see each other consistently. That's the whole point. In jujitsu, it's consistent. It's longevity, right? So if Brian over there, you don't see him for a while or you see that he's acting kind of funny, do him a favor and say, hey, uh, I noticed you're a little down. I noticed you're a little off. Um, do you want to talk about it? I'm concerned about you, right? And then you take it from there. Um, and people will talk or they won't talk. But we have this thing when we, have, when we feel uh, any like mental illness, we feel that we are a burden to others. And that's so unfortunate because that causes people to be standoffish. It causes causes you to pity yourself and it causes you not to reach out because you think that, oh, no one's going to care, right? Or, or no one's going to be able to help me. It's not anyone else's problem. It's mine. And that's such a false idea. And so we need to be able to contact other people that we feel comfortable with. Obviously, if you feel comfortable choking someone and you know being in their guard and laying all over them, being in close contact with them, you can have a conversation about your mental health. Um, so it's just looking out for one another because you see them consistently. You can see if their moods are changing and whatnot and not being afraid to say, hey, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about you and reach out and start this conversation. Um, that's the biggest thing, being able to talk about it because that kills the stigma. Yeah, it's interesting. This weekend of recording this, we're in, uh, this is October 31st, 2018. I just came back yesterday from Tampa. I was in a training camp up Hobson Moore mm -hmm. and I did some teaching and some teaching, some seminars, not just jujitsu, but speaking also and raising money for live jujitsu. So it was an amazing experience. And I, when I was speaking, probably we had over a hundred people in the mat. There was, you know, it was wow. really packed and 120 people, I believe. And sharing with them, you know, the personal development part, that's a big, you know, passion that I have to to share a lot of my struggle as well and mention to them about 
uh, mental health as well as far as me being vocal about my social anxiety, about my difficulties that I have uh, and things that I've been doing since I started studying to improve that, you know, little by little. Uh, is it gone? Absolutely not. But I have a lot more tools now mm-hmm. to to deal with uh, with these situations. And I see that I'm that I'm getting better, but it's a daily battle. It's a, that internal battle that everyone's fighting an internal battle. No one knows about it. So for all the listeners that you're listening to this right now, absolutely what Aaron's saying, yeah, you're not alone. And I think it's just having that, that, that courage to say that it's okay if you're having that mm-hmm. issue. So it was very interesting that a lot of people don't maybe don't see that or see that I'm an instructor. I've been doing this for a long time and they say like, yeah, it's he's Superman or for whatever reason. And so they like to hear about, you know, some of the vulnerability, especially from guys, because you're going to yep. hear more for girls. Mm-hmm. And that helps you people to feel a lot more relaxed. And a lot of people come in and talk with me after, you know, mention yep. how like, man, I do feel that way too. Like, oh, wow. And even mentioned to them, like me being here in front of 120 people speaking about this and being vulnerable is, is not easy. You know, for some people, maybe okay. easier, but as far as for, for me, for being a major introvert and kind of socially awkward in a way with that is definitely a, a big challenge for me. But I just told him my message is bigger than my anxiety. So the yes. reason why I'm here, I'm, I'm sharing uh, is because of that. I'm just letting people know that man, absolutely not alone, but you do need to do something about it. You know, you do have to, to share with people and you do have mm-hmm. to work on mindfulness and being present, yes. you know, because that it's, uh, that the battle, you know, the voice, you know, I always say, I like to call the dark passenger, you know, like for everyone who likes Dexter, <laughs> that voice that's, that stays in, you know, that brings all the negativity and the negative patterns that, it doesn't disappear. You just learn how to control them and how it's just doing the best you can to be present and mindful and being surrounded by positive people, which is absolutely, mm-hmm. it's a huge one because when you're in these situations, you will need that. Yeah. You're most vulnerable, right? Think about jujitsu, right? Physically, you're vulnerable. You're letting someone, uh, choke you, right? Or you're not if you're defending correctly, but you're allowing yourself in these vulnerable positions. And when you're uncomfortable, when you're, I mean, no one goes through a training session without being in a bad position, right? Mm -hmm. If you're doing it right. So, you know, you get your guard passed, right? Like, um, you, you're in bottom of someone's mount, right? And you can panic and then you can give away your arm. You can give away the choke or you can, you know, realize, all right, I'm in this position and I know how to get out of it. So that's kind of how I've been able to work with my mental health. And so from, from learning how to do that with jujitsu, I've learned how to talk about it as well. So being able to discuss those feelings that you have while you're training, it was really helped me tell people about how I feel with my emotions as well. Cause no one really cares about your emotions when you're training, as long as you're not being mean or you're not egotistical and things like that, right? Leave your ego at the door. So as long as you're able to help people, then I can, I can help as long as I'm able to help people, right? Like in training, I can help people with their mental as well. And I feel Mm -hmm. like there is such a huge, huge correlation. There's connection and connection is huge. And what you said about having, you know, your message be bigger than your anxiety is actually so funny because I just, I feel like the exact same way. Um, I actually don't even like working out in a regular gym. 
you know, and here I, here I am doing juju tournaments and people are looking at me and all that stuff. But man, I am so afraid to do like a move wrong and have someone come over and say, actually, this is how you squat, which mm -hmm. I've had that happen. And it was the worst feeling ever. So, you know, I always have that message in my head that tells you like people are looking at you, people are judging you or, you know, they don't like what your face looks or your jujitsu sucks. Right. So being able to turn that around for myself, for others, like helping them to, to tell, talk to themselves better has been so, you know, beneficial, right. And being able to help others. And, and, um, you know, I used to think that training was just all about me in competition and how I'm mm -hmm. feeling, how I'm cutting weight, everything. And then I realized that I get so much out of helping other people, whether it's teaching a seminar or just helping my training partners. There's so, it's, there's so much more like reward for, for helping others and standing up for something for other people that can't. Um, mm -hmm. That's so like the most empowering thing rather than winning a gold medal for me. That's awesome. Now, there's one question that I always ask people is, um, what is that one high-performance habit that has helped you in jiu-jitsu and life professionally? But now what I'd like to ask you, what is a daily habit that you have that has been helping your mental health that reflects on jiu-jitsu and you, in all aspects of your life? So what is maybe just one thing that comes to your mind that you do the best you can to practice daily? So if I don't like myself, uh, then I can't do anything. I can't be successful. I can't be, I can't have any accomplishments whatsoever. So, you know, obviously this came about competing because you have to kind of be like, no, my guard's better than this woman and, and her game, you know, and especially competing at the black belt level, like here I'm jumping into all these people that have already all these world titles and stuff. So I have to support myself and I have to be my biggest fan. And sometimes you don't have a coach. Sometimes you don't have that support system and the outside you know, so what I learn is, and the, the easiest way for me to do this is when I write it down. So I will actually write down, Aaron, you are great. You trained hard. You deserve this, right? So what I like to think about is that I have myself and I'm speaking to myself. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so for whatever reason, people like to um, acknowledge other people's comments over their own. Right. So if I say, man, I'm so beautiful, but you go, no, you're not. I'm going to go, damn, I'm not like for whatever reason, whatever someone else says holds more weight than, uh, than our own. Um, and that's really, really common. So I know my depression is, is really getting worse when I'm talking shit to myself and when I'm not standing up for myself and when I'm letting other people put me down or I'm just get, putting myself down. Right. So, you know, I'm late to something like, God, you're late. You're always late. You're this or that. I learned how to redirect that. Mm -hmm. And so to train myself, um, I did this when I was getting ready for the worlds last year at Brown Belt, you know, and I, I wrote down in second person. So as I, as I write it, it sounds weird. Cause I'm like, you, you, you. Then when I reread it, it sounds like someone else is saying it to me mm -hmm. and someone else is saying, you're great. I'm like, I am, I am great. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, you trained so hard. And I'm like, hell yeah, I did. You know, it's, it's kind of weird. Like you're having this conversation with yourself, but it has made all the difference, you know, and, um, it makes me feel less alone. Cause like you need to be, um, you need to have self-esteem, but you also need to be self-confident and you need to believe that what you're doing is, is correct for your path. And so when I'm getting ready for competition, especially that's when I feel like I need to be my own supporter and my biggest fan, because I can't mm -hmm. rely on someone else to do it for me. I mean, Cobrini used to stand there and be like, no one's going to pass your guard, you know? And now, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, these days. And if, if I don't have the attention, then what am I going to do? Not compete, you know? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And this is, well, in my eyes are not 
weird at all because I do that and it got way more intense than that, but you know, <laughs> writing things down, but I, which I yeah. strongly suggest to people. And I tell, especially the, when we talk about the mental coach stuff, I, I did for myself when, uh, when I competed at least starting like three weeks before I like to write it down, how I'm going to feel in the next day, you know, okay. just put in the whole positive Bible, how mm-hmm. everything worked and you can do any way you want. There's times that, uh, like you said, using you could it be I or whatever that is, but just positive something that uh, this is how I want to feel mm-hmm. after. So this is one of the things that I, that I mentioned to people. And, and I, I think people kind of underestimate the power of writing things down. You know, I think yeah. a lot of people underestimate that. And I, and I got a lot of my students to, to do that and has helped. And even when I didn't have any formal training per se and, Know, mental coaching and stuff. I think I, it was natural for me to do a lot of those things. And then when I start to understand more, I'm like, okay, that's cool. I was, you know, in the same page or kind of, you know, uh, I felt that that helped me in a lot of different ways. I, I had a, in my competition career, just a, a roller coaster of emotions, like most of the competitors, maybe some of the lucky ones are great. They're like always on top. Great. But I started from zero negative confidence to be like, yay, yep. and then lose everything and then build again, you know, so that yep. different moments in our lives. But at least just keep working on and find different ways to whatever is going to whatever habit is going to have you just mention yours. I think all the listeners, you got to figure out what is your one habit that's going to help with your mental health, especially if someone already struggled with that, you know, and always to ask for professional help too. You know, I felt that I personally, I did a lot of, I started with books, audiobooks, and it was great. It made a huge impact in my life and then did online courses. And then I was like, I hit a wall and I said, okay, now it's time for professional help. I need professional help. Mm-hmm. And then I started going more to retreats and so forth. And, uh, and, I, still, uh, and I still do therapy, even uh, couples therapy, even when things are good. That's one of the things too right, that I tell my right. friends that not just look for couples therapy when things are bad. You know, because sometimes when it's bad, it's really like, yeah. Yeah, and that's just a Band-Aid, right? You know? yeah, yeah, so uh, this is cool that I have a chance to to go in. And yeah, some days are good talk. There's times that it's not the, that uh, <laughs> the psychologist is like basically the let's get it on. You know, it's just the rap and it's right there. But at least <laughs> you get it out in a, a safe environment. Let's yep. put it this way. But, you know, but, it, but, you know, so I'm always constantly traveling and so forth and just doing that and, and that's something that for me it's uh, it's an investment that is fun I just love you know I'm a personal development junkie so for me it's good but for people who have never got into that don't be I think the only thing I can say is don't feel bad or guilty or embarrassed that you're asking for help mm-hmm. you know that's something I have no problem with that you know like after you start getting the ball rolling you know, um, I have fun, you know, like uh, tomorrow I have a, a session like, you know, I go excited. Yeah. I like I like to dig in and try to find more, you know, but I'm kind of weird with that. But not everyone likes. But I think uh, closing a part with a habit is just for you listening, you know, having developed a habit, just try to figure out whatever helps you to stay centered, whatever helps you to be more present. Is that a five minute meditation? Is that what is it? Is that a specific speaker that maybe you can find on? YouTube that 
going to say something that it can resonate with, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, actually, do you have any, any source or any channel on YouTube or anything that, that you follow that is kind of cool that you can suggest to people? You know, I don't because I, I don't know. I'm really bad with that. Cause like uh, for me, I have ADHD too. So mm-hmm. that doesn't help. So I need to be constantly mm-hmm. stimulated. If you. I'm watching <laughs> yeah. something, it's funny. My mom's like, you're not even watching the movie. You're not even watching the TV. Cause I'm on my phone. Right. And I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm playing spider solitaire at the same time. And it's mm-hmm. weird. Um, that's my like active meditation. So for me, I, I literally play spider solitaire or I play wordscapes because it uses my brain, but I'm like, I can't just sit there. I'll zone out. Right. So I need to have my brain kind of like active while I'm taking in information, even if it is just like an episode of catfish, mm-hmm. you know, like it doesn't matter like how intense it is. Like I just zone out and I start thinking about other things, but while I'm listening to it and I'm, I'm working my brain as I do that. Mm-hmm. So that has been the best thing for me. Um, as far as podcasts, like I'm, I'm kind of like new to doing that. Like I said, like I get kind of like bored. Um, but I read a lot of books and, um, what's interesting now, um, is I'm reading this book actually that's about suicide and it's more of a scientific approach and it talks about the history of it and the statistics. And then it talks about like narratives of specific cases and, and that has helped me. And also, uh, someone really, really good to look into is Brene Brown. And she yeah, is a specialist awesome. on vulnerability, right? Yeah. So daring greatly is, is her book that I read. Um, and she has a Ted talk that's really famous and she has a lot of things actually. There's like a little video that my friend who uh, works with autistic kids showed me the difference between sympathy and empathy. And it's just like this three minute video. It's a cartoon, but it's her speaking, her narrating Mm -hmm. about it. And it's, um, it just kind of puts it into perspective and how vulnerability is power. Right. And obviously people like you and I understand that we, like, I find there's power in vulnerability. And if Mm -hmm. I were to use an example um, I love, if I like a dude, I will just tell him, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe it makes him uncomfortable, you know, and everyone's supposed to be like, no, you're supposed to be really coy about it and give him hints, you know? And I'm more like, this is how I feel. How do you feel? And usually mm-hmm. it turns people off and I'm really open about that. Um, or I share my journey or, or, you know, I, I get third at, at worlds and most people are like, yes. I got third at Worlds. Thank you to my sponsors. Thank you to my coaches. And I'm more like, oh my God, I'm devastated, but I'm proud of myself, but I'm devastated, Mm -hmm. you know, because people uh, will, that resonates with people. And if it doesn't resonate with you and you believe that you need to be a samurai, like the meows, you know, like they're Mm -hmm. very much like, you know, uh, whatever my mind thinks, my body will follow. Um, that's another approach. That's fine. That's what they study. That's, that's their philosophy. My philosophy is a little bit different because I'm such a, in my feelings type of person that if I don't get my feelings out, then it's done. <laughs> it's yeah, going to like come out in different ways. Right. But yeah. it's easy for you and I to look into ourselves because we have self-awareness. So mm-hmm. some people need to teach themselves self-awareness. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it took me some time to develop that too, you know, to mm-hmm. start being really more aware of what's going on. My, you know, going on my mind and when I start to become more self-aware I was like oh wow I'm a wreck but you yeah, know, like, yeah right like it's just a mess I gotta clean this up yeah so but at least it gave me that okay now I'm gonna start to working on this and make improvements and and so forth now what would you say is the best advice you've ever received and I want you to pick whatever you want you can be jiu-jitsu live profession if you want something related to mental health it would be even better maybe advice related to that I'd love to hear that too so what do you think so uh, when I started talking with Cobrino was when uh, he opened his gym here in 2011 and when I was going to go train with him and um, I had been connected to him through someone who had trained with him in Atlanta. So I went down there and I talked to him whatnot. 
And I remember when I started corresponding with him through email, he had this email signature that on the bottom, it was a quote. And I don't, you know, I always contribute it to, to Cobrina, but who knows where he got it or if he made it up, who knows? But it said, never let things happen, make them happen. And that has been my life's motto. And so I've never l waited for other people. In fact, you know, every, every moment of my life has been, you know, I'm not going to wait for someone to do this, come with me, to plan a trip with me, to, you know, um, correspond with me or answer my message. Or I remember when I created my first blog it was a pulling guard zine. I was like gung ho on it. And I, my training partner and he's like, I'm like, what should we name it? And he's like, relax, you know, like we'll figure it out. And I was like, all right, forget you. And I went on and made the name, I made the logo, all this stuff. Like when I want to do something, I, I do it. And that has been the biggest thing for me. And so with my mental health, obviously that um, if I need professional help, I go do it. You know, I'm not going to wait for it to just get better. It's just like, um, you know, an, a physical ailment. You know, we, we do that mistake all the time and it gets worse. Hmm, does this look like staph? I don't know. And then all of a sudden you're in the emergency room getting it drained and getting antibiotics. So with me, I've just really, really learned that, um, you know, you can't wait for the opportunity. Um, and you can't, there's no better day than today. And also, you know, teaching seminars, people are like, well, how did you do that? I'm a, I was a brown belt at the time when I really started doing international seminars and I'm a female, right? And that's mm -hmm. always harder to sell. And I was doing, you know, co-ed seminars. And it's like, I asked, I literally would look up a place or try to find a connection and email them and say, Hey, do you want to have a seminar with me? And like, you know, cool. They say, no, they can't. Cool. Whatever. Move on to the next one. But people are waiting for opportunities and I, I try to make all of my opportunities. So that definitely just get, it just sparked me. And so since 2011, it has been my motto. I actually, my black belt speech, when I got my black belt from Cobrina a year ago, I was like, this has, this has that quote changed my life. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like, yep, I understand that. And I'm going to put that into practice. And ever since then, just done stuff, just done it, you know? Yeah. It's basically personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know that right. one of the things that I think for the listeners been listening a little bit of my spiel, you know, and I like to talk a lot about authenticity and authenticity is way bigger than I say, whatever I want to address in any way I want. It's mm -hmm. bigger than that. It's, I always like to say, like, are you authentic to your desires? Are you being, you know, you have a desire, you want to do something, but you're mm -hmm. being overwhelmed by fear and anxiety yeah. and not letting you be. So that means, are you being authentic to yourself? Mm -hmm. So a lot of my message is for that to just to have an idea of course not something stupid or something someone's gonna be hurt or whatever you're gonna hurt but i'm saying like you want to do something and have the that courage to yeah just accept some challenge have the personal responsibility and throw it out there and then it's gonna work and sometimes work and sometimes not and there was very interesting it was really cool that you said about sending the message you you know how uh, how many people do not do that of just like, right. hey, what's the worst can happen? They can say no. Yep. You can't you know? be afraid of failure. Yeah. So rejection. this is this is so important. I was when I was in Tampa this weekend, I was talking, they had a group from Ireland actually that flew to the seminar. So oh, it was wow. really cool. Uh, one of the Hobson's affiliate. So this guy said, Man, I you were my my first DVD set. It was, actually it was back Aww. in the, even VHS. Oh you my know? God. So that was like, <laughs> <laughs> you're not old. You're not old. <laughs> so that was like, I recorded this in 2002, wow. I believe, with Century. So uh, the market was just starting with mm -hmm. instructionals and stuff. 
and I was in U.S. for about uh, three years, maybe. And and I saw the Grappling Magazine back then. You know, uh, was, that's the only source they have in U.S. And I saw the, the Century just bought Panther videos, and I was like, man. If these guy, I don't even know who this guy is. You know, he has a video like, I can't have a video too. Why not? So yeah. there's only three companies out there that they're making videos. So I sent an email to all three of them. Okay. Two didn't reply and Century reply like, well, we do have interest. I'm like, sweet. You know, the money wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. But me being new in U.S. was uh, it helped to kind of like, hey, you know, because uh, w- as soon as you put a video, a lot of people see like, oh, wow, that's credibility. Oh, they, yes. you wrote a book. Wow, that's credibility, Absolutely. you know. So I look at, so I made a, a little bit of money, but it was not that great. But it was more like, oh, that's a nice official stamp of credibility. Mm-hmm. They're putting the uh, the thing on, on an authority figure and yeah. doing all the marketing. And all because I asked. So for people who are, you, you do have an idea, you do want to do something, you got to ask first, are you being authentic to your desires? If not, if you're not being, why? And what is the worst case scenario? I had an episode here, I think it was episode 19, that, with Camille from uh, Romania, that was exactly it. He is a big time entrepreneur. And always his first question is, what is the worst case scenario? You know, what's going to happen? And then, then, of course, in the entrepreneurship world, you've got to think about numbers. And then, like, Risks, am I yeah. going to be on the street? I mean, what's the deal? Mm-hmm. You know, and if it does happen, how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal? But, like, things like that, like you said, you know, like, saying, well, let me see if I can get a, uh, you know, a seminar. And yeah. it worked out. So There's no for, risk. Yeah. So, for people, you know, make sure that, you know, this personal responsibility, absolutely, I see authenticity as kind of like a graphic from zero to 100. I don't know if I'll ever be a 100. I'll be a monk or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I want to try to raise it up. We want to try to raise it up our authenticity yeah. level as high as possible. And of course, we have to do our job. So even if you ask yourself what I have to say from zero to 100, and it's for someone listening at home and want to reflect on this if you have to say from zero to 100 where do you feel that you're adding your authenticity level to your standards you know maybe say like you know what Gustav, i think i'm a 40 right now no problem i think i'm a 20 no problem what can you do what is one step that can help you to become a 21 a level 21 or 20 just like minor mm-hmm. uh improvements it's not like what you got to do to go to 100. It's not like that. You know, especially in jiu-jitsu, you know that. It's not like this. Do this move here, learn this card, and boom, you know, that's yeah, right. it. And it's, it's not. You're going up and down, up and down. Yeah, that is small growth. So this is just my, I think, two cents about authenticity. If someone, it's, you know, there's something that you're not doing. understand why, but just just pull the trigger. Think about the worst-case scenario. and see what's the worst can happen exactly now what advice i mean you've we've been doing the submitted statement not too long right now in 2018 so i want to maybe because i always like to say if you had a chance to have a conversation with a younger your younger version so i'm not even going to say three years ago but let's say let's say when you started your jiu-jitsu journey and you just go back talk with it you know the young younger Aaron say like, Hey, I'm just going to stop by here to tell you this thing, what that would be, what advice would you give to your younger version? That's really hard. Um, I would say 
a couple of things like have patience. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was that, that white belt that was like, screw close guard. I want to learn X guard. You know, I always wanted to do that. And I had to have other people say, no, 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 no. Learn your basics. It's going to come in, come in handy. Um, so yeah, I even have to teach myself now being a black belt enrolling and whatnot, just be patient. Um, mm-hmm. and I've actually ruined some opportunities in life by not being patient, right? If you ask a question or you ask for permission or you ask for, um, some sort of maybe contribution, right? And when you chase that up too soon, people get really offended or standoffish, right? So I'm a, I'm a very intense person. I want things now, 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 right? And just because some people take more time than me doesn't mean that they aren't as committed as I am or they aren't as into the idea as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as much as I love to be personally responsible for my own life and do everything on my own, there are times when you do need to rely on other people. And you know, Absolutely. sometimes people aren't as fast as you um, or on board as you. It doesn't mean that they won't get there. You just have to give them time. And so, you know, not being so, I guess, like intense about everything. Like when I started, I was like, I'm going to be big. I'm going to be a champ. I'm going to do this and that, you know? And, you know, I hit black belt. Now I'm like, I don't really give it. I don't don't think I care much about being a Mm -hmm. black belt world champion. Like similar to the risk and reward, you know, like what can happen or what, what could go wrong? What's the worst for me? It's what's the best, what's the best thing that could happen to, you know, being a black belt world champion, which was my goal from white belt, right? You start off competing. You're like, well, let's go all the way. Let's go black belt world champion. It's like, well, what would change? Not much. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that not much, you know? And so as, as much as I believe in everyone chasing their dreams, everyone should absolutely live the life you want. And so that's what changed. It was no longer you need to have like what people think is the best. It was be the best me, live the best life that I want. And I can confidently say that every day that I wake up, I do what I want. And people think that's like, oh, that's just because you don't work a real job. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 I hustle. I manage myself. I do my seminars, everything else. I have a lot of help. But, you know, I, I know the necessary steps to take from what I want. I know the risk. I know the rewards. And because I, I thought about that. And so, you know, have patience, um, you know, make sure that you're doing what you truly want. And also, you know, don't uh, be too intense with people and push them away. <laughs> that has been a, a problem in my life. <laughs> so what book would you like to recommend and why? I, I always like to ask, um, oh, could be I'm not necessarily related to mental health. I think just books that have have made an impact on you. And of course, this is always in the moment. Sometimes depend what moment in your life that you read that made an impact. Sometimes you read a book five years ago and um, eh, and you read like a week ago, like oh my god, I couldn't see this five years ago. You know. So what a book that you feel that you could recommend? Um, like I said before, um, I would definitely say to read "Daring Greatly" by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read that too. Yeah. So like that kind of, it, it's like jujitsu, right? So daring greatly being vulnerable, right? That translates to jujitsu competition, your life, your relationships, your goals, everything. Um, and it kind of is like, there's so many times that I was reading it and I was like, highlight, highlight, like, mm-hmm. yes, queen. Yes. Like I just totally agreed with everything that she was saying and the way that she comes up with the information and she's very personable about it. Yes. Um, I was, it was kind of like having an aunt tell you some advice and been like, listen, honey, when mm-hmm. I was your age, you know, um, and just sort of, it's really, really digestible. 
Um, and so I think self-awareness is knowing when you're vulnerable, right? And how you're interacting with others. So everything about that book has helped me. Yeah, and it's really good when she talks about shame and guilt because a lot of people feel that with mental health of the shame, you know, uh, she talks about the difference that the shame, they think that, you know, I'm bad, guilt, you know, guilt is like I did something bad, you know, so mm -hmm. she talks about that. that My fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's a very interesting concept because people actually can give, I, I, I don't read as much. I listen to audiobooks, but I know what you mean with my EGCD too. It's a kind of a challenge. So I do listen to book with my Candy Crush. So that's okay. But you know, I got I got I got to keep it yep. up. I got to do a few things. Sometimes yep. I do three things. Like no 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 no, just two. You know? Just two, right? Limit it. And um, but yeah, it, I think I read th uh, three of. Um, I listened to three of her books and plus a lot of, she got a lot of amazing content online too and on mm -hmm. YouTube and stuff. So uh, I'll put the link to on, on the post for the, for the, this episode so people can click and learn more about Brene Brown. She's awesome. awesome. And so what are you currently excited about? What's going on? What have you been up to? Uh, maybe things that you see going ahead for Submit to Stigma. So, you know, what's crazy is that Halloween, and I just wrote a blog post about this before we, we started the interview. Um, I moved back from New York two years ago today. Okay. And I had everything going for me. I had a strong relationship. I had a good, you know, gym. I was training at Marcelo Garcia's. I got my brown belt from him. I was doing probably my best in the competition. Um, I had, you know, Gianni's uh, family there and I had my cat my apartment, my car, like everything, right? We had gold. We were going to open a gym together. We do all these things. And, you know, uh, when we were both deciding that we would move back here in California, my mom's house, just to save, save money, I realized, no, that's not what I want. And I gave up everything. And we taught the seminars that we were supposed to do on our cross-country trip and then went separate ways. And it was like, all right, see you later. And it was weird. Like I just, he went to go live in the apartment. He had the cat. He had the car. You know, I just let him keep everything because he's from there. And then I went back and it was like, all right, what does Aaron Hurley want to do? What is the Aaron brand? What is this? You know, and that's when I got my first European tour, um, all that stuff. So for me, it was very important that I did my own thing. And mm -hmm. so today kind of marks this reflection. Okay, what have I done in two years? Okay, I've done a hell of a lot of stuff. But now, um, as of two weeks, about two weeks ago, I decided that I want to try MMA. And okay. I don't even know where it came from. It's something that I always wanted to do. But it was, with, you know, with jiu-jitsu, when I, when I decided I wanted to be a good competitor, you got to train twice a day. You got to just give everything. And if you stray at all, you're not going to do well in competition, right? And so that just became that necessity to always train jiu-jitsu. That became huge. And I didn't have the connections and whatnot. So I'm literally opening up all these connections to go into um, MMA, which is a huge challenge because... I play spider guard. <laughs> I'm a gee girl, right? It's a little bit different now, you know, working on top and working against the cage and striking. So I get to be like a white belt again. I'm learning a lot about striking. So I think that kind of sends the message. Like if you're not doing what you want to do, then do it. Right. I turned 29 in August and I'm like, well, I don't have a lot of time. If I'm going to do it, um, I got to try it. And who knows, maybe I do a couple of sparring sessions and I go, I hate getting punched in the face. Then I yeah. know, then mm -hmm. I, then I tried. Um, so I, I'm always willing to put myself out there and to try. So this has been like my new journey, which is like obviously really scary and it's different and the feel is different. Jiu-Jitsu is very regimented. I go to training and it's the same thing every day. We do a technique, we do this and that. Whereas MMA is like, 
I don't know, I guess I'll do boxing today. I guess I'll call this guy up and see if he can work with me. But I'm enjoying that freedom. Um, and also with Smith the Stigma, you know, I want to get more focused on that. Like we just had a good fight tournament that gave the proceeds to, to submit the stigma it was all female submission only tournament. So it was really powerful. It stemmed from a local girl who uh, lost her friend to suicide and she was only 12. So wow. that, that was huge, you know? So I need to focus more on that. Like as much as I am focusing on myself, building my career and whatnot, my career path, um, I realize that there's a lot of people that are reaching out saying, how can I help? And, and, and I want them to help. I want to delegate something to them, but I'm like, I don't know. So I've got someone uh, named Valerie who lives in Canada and she actually runs a social media for me. And then, so me, her, my sister are going to be discussing things to figure out if we're going to run another seminar. Uh, we want to have an ambassador program, people who can connect, right? Cause people reach out to me all the time. I'm not always available. Not that I give professional help. I will always tell people I'm not a therapist, go to professional help, but just to talk about it and say, yeah, this, this, this is my story. This is what I've gone through. We'll see how this helps you. Just that relating. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of people around the world that are just as good at it as I am who have their own stories. So to put someone in an ambassador position would be okay. Then for their community, their local part, you know, is, is, is taken care of, um, things like that. There's always, you know, more that we can do. And Absolutely. again, for me, it's not the money, it's the message. Um, so, you know, in the beginning it's people are like, oh yeah, you could totally make this a nonprofit and you can live off of it. And, you know, you get enough proceeds and you could take a paycheck from it. And I'm like, it wouldn't feel good to do that. Um, and I wouldn't want to put my, you know, my, my success and my financial stress on something like as sensitive as this, right? If I was going to do it for the money, it would fall apart. It's, mm -hmm. I don't care. Um, and maybe that's just me personally. I'm not big on money. It doesn't motivate me. What motivates me is connection. And so as long as I connect to connect to people and all through Australia, I just did a month long seminar tour there and, and New Zealand and, and South Korea and stuff. Every single time I, I do my jujitsu, I teach them. We have a good time. And at the end, I always bring up submit the stigma and I tell people look out for each other and whatnot. So I feel good just being able to send my message to people and being able to connect and, and have other people open up to me and say, Hey, I never thought about talking about this. My parents didn't even know, or, you know, and, and they seek professional help and it's like, awesome. Like I made, I made a difference in someone's mm -hmm. life, even if I didn't even realize it at the time. So making that difference is huge. Awesome. So we're getting close to the end of the interview and for the listeners, just make sure to stick around for my final thoughts. So this is something that after the interview, I get some of my takeaways, you know, I got some of the concepts that you share and then I'll just pack it in in a five to 12 minutes. It depends how long the message is, but I do my best to inspire, impact and improve people's lives. That's basically my life calling per se. And mm -hmm. this podcast is basically for that. Bringing people have been doing amazing things out there and, and share to inspire people that people that in, and this episode is extremely important, extremely important to raise that awareness. And hopefully people can go in and learn more about submit the stigma. And, and I want to talk with you in the future about possible partnerships with live jujitsu and yes. submit the stigma, which would be amazing. We, cause that our job is to basically support nonprofit organizations, you know? Absolutely. So, uh, Definitely going to be talking more about this. So yeah, just now, just to wrap it up, just how people can get in contact with you, know more about Submit the Sigma and a final message to everyone. 
So I have a website. It's uh, www.submitthestigma.org. That has the whole story on it. You can order patches. You can order shirts. Um, we have um, links to other resources and whatnot. Um, and then Instagram. I'm always on Instagram. Um, I'm always on my stories. I'm always connecting. You can always connect to me. I always read my messages. Um, and so my full name, that's my handle. Um, and then, you know, just want to leave people with the idea that, you know, mental, mental health is not something that is for just people with mental illness, right? It's, it's not so much mental health as it is mental wellness and that we all need to be more present and be more mindful of how we treat ourselves. Um, we do a lot to say, you know, you never know what someone else is thinking or someone else is dealing with. So be kind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But be kind to yourself. Right. Yes. So even even when um, there's lots of times that you feel down and you go to the fridge and you eat a bunch of crap food, that's not good for your body. But it's also your mental health. That's that's your mind telling you to not treat your body uh, great or to treat yourself poorly or to deny yourself things. Um, so just recognizing those patterns and recognizing those behaviors is going to put you on a better path to align yourself with everything, with your relationships, with your goals, with your success, everything. And so just, you know, whether it's reading a book about it or listening to a podcast or seeking professional help, if you need, do it. Don't wait. Um, and, and your life is going to be so much better and you're going to be so much more happier with yourself. Awesome. Thank you so much, Aaron, for your time. I really appreciate and I'll be doing my best to promote Submit the Sigma as well, too. So for all the listeners, just stick around for my final thoughts. Ooze. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Aaron Hurley. Aaron is the founder of Submit the Stigma, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and awareness campaign within the jiu-jitsu community that promotes education, discussion, and support for mental illness and those who are affected. And the goal is to make mental health as important as physical health, to make mental well-being a priority. She began promoting this campaign in honor of her father, Robin Hurley, who died by suicide in July of 2015, and she mentioned that her dad suffered from isolation and from some undiagnosed mental illness. Now, imagine how strange it is to just talk with someone one day and he or she look completely fine, and on the next day you hear that they took their life. And this, this scenario happens more often than we can even imagine. I remember once when I lived in Brazil, I was at the beach and I saw a teammate of mine and his friend who was also a jiu-jitsu competitor. We hung out for half an hour, laughed, told, told stories. And on the next day, I heard the news that his friend choked himself with his belt and died. I cannot even imagine what his family went through or what Aaron and her family went through, plus the families of 45,000 people that have killed themselves because of mental illness. The suicide rates in the United States from 1999 to 2016, during that 17-year period, the total suicide rate increased 28% from 10.5 to 13.4 per 100,000 inhabitants. According to the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention in 2016, suicide was the 10th leading cause of death overall in the United States, claiming the lives of nearly 45,000 people. And suicide was the second leading cause of death 
among individuals between the ages of 10 and 34. And the fourth leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 35 and 54. There were more than twice as many suicides in the United States than there were homicides. It's crazy. So in order to deliver an informative final thought, I researched about the topic and I found out that there are two types of mental health stigmas, social stigma and self-stigma. The article Mental Health and Stigma featured on psychologytoday.com stated, quote, social stigma is characterized by prejudicial attitudes and discriminating behavior direct towards individuals with mental health problems and as a result of the psychiatric label that they have given. In contrast, perceived stigma or self-stigma is the internalizing by the mental health sufferer of their perceptions of discrimination. And perceived stigma can significantly affect feelings of shame and lead to poor treatment outcomes, unquote. Erin mentioned that one of her favorite books was Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, which I have listened to the audiobook version, and it's great. Brene has spent the past 16 years studying courage, vulnerability, empathy, and shame, and she's the author of four number one New York Times bestseller. Her TED Talk, The Power of Vulnerability, is one of the top five most viewed TED Talks in the world with over 30 million views. And she mentioned that navigating life with a mental illness is tough as it is in Many people also feel an overwhelming sense of shame, and shame is associated with depression, grief, anxiety, eating disorders, addiction, and violence. The stigma still exists, and Aaron's message of submitting the stigma of mental health is powerful and as real as it gets. And Brene Brown explains the difference between shame and guilt. She said the shame focus on self and guilt focus on behavior. Shame is, I am bad, and guilt is, I did something bad. And in 2006, she developed the shame resilience theory, and here's the explanation. Quote, the SRT shame resilience theory is a grounded theory, and it's based on building resilience to shame by connecting with our authentic selves and growing meaningful relationships with other people. Shame resilience evolves moving towards empathy courage, connection, and compassion when we experience shame and away from shame, fear, blame, and disconnection. So according to Dr. Brown, the four elements of shame resilience are number one, recognizing shame and understanding your triggers. And she gave us an example for physical response like your heart racing or tightness in your chest. Number two, practicing critical awareness. This is so crucial. I have talked about this many times in a podcast, utilizing the stop, challenge, and choose. Then we start seeing a lot of those negative patterns, those negative thoughts coming up. Stop. Think about what you, you're thinking about. Challenge this thought. Is this a rational or irrational thought? And then you choose, make the wise decision to stick with the positive route. The third one, reaching out and telling your story. And she said that reaching out to your support network and sharing your story, we can increase your resilience and create change. And the fourth one, speaking shame. And here's what Brené said, quote, speaking shame is so important as its survival depends on going undetected. Example, through secrecy and silence, 
Subsequently, if we recognize and understand our triggers, practice critical awareness, and reach out to others, we can grow our resilience as we practice communicating about our shame with our most trusted advisors who use their own compassion and courage while listening and supporting us, unquote. I can tell you this, the four elements work because I literally use the shame resilience theory without knowing. And personally, in 2003, it was the first time I faced depression due to my divorce. And if you have been divorced or have ended a long-term relationship, you know how this can affect your self-esteem. And man, mine was tanked. To make things worse, my ex-wife moved back to Brazil with my son, Jonathan, who was three years old. And I went from seeing him every day to seeing him every six months in Brazil. And if you're a parent, you can have an idea of the impact this could make, you know, could have in your mind. So for the longest time, I felt a huge amount of shame and guilt for the fact that I didn't move back to Brazil to stay close to him. Her parents put a lot of pressure on her to stay in Brazil, and my son grew up listening that I abandoned him. And here's the thing. My parents got divorced when I was four. By seven years old, I barely had contact with my father. He took off from Rio and moved out of state. And I didn't develop any relationship with him. And this was the last thing I wanted for Jonathan and I. And this whole scenario fed into my shame that I'm not a good father and guilt because I did something bad. I left him behind. With time, I got used to the new reality. However, the shame and guilt feeling would haunt me once in a while. And finally, in 2013, I attended the Hoffman Process, a week-long therapy nearby Napa Valley in California that has changed my life. And I was able to understand where the shame and guilt were coming from, becoming even more aware of my negative patterns and practicing my critical awareness 24-7. And I was finally at peace. I understood that I did the best I could with the emotional maturity that I had at that moment. And moving back to Brazil would be the worst professional decision I could have made. In every six months I was in Brazil spending time with him, then when he was around 10 years old, he started to travel to the U.S. more often. And now in 2018, my son Jonathan is 18 years old and he has been living with me since he was 15. And until this day, uh, his grandparents still tell him that I, I abandoned him. However, I learned from the motivational speaker, Les Brown, that said, someone's opinion of you don't have to become your reality. So if you're currently too worried about the opinions of others, family members and relatives, keep this quote in mind. Someone's opinion of you don't have to become your reality. It only turns your reality when you accept it. So I mentioned about the first two elements, recognizing triggers and the critical awareness. And the other two were extremely important as well because I reached out to Hoffman Institute, which is a nonprofit organization that I've been aware of it for 25 years since my mom has attended in Brazil and it changed her life, and I saw the changes at home for the better back then. I didn't notice the shift. And basically, I wasn't denied for over 25 years. I said, I'm fine. I don't need help. Books and audiobooks are fine. Then I realized that now I do need help. And it was extremely hard 
I expressed for the first time my shame and guilt to my teachers and other attendees who were talking about their shame and guilt feelings. And I felt at peace for the first time. And now I can share with you without feeling bad at all. I always mention that when you go for a competition, you must focus on things you can control because when you focus on things you cannot control, like the outcome of the tournament, it will lead to muscle tension, anxiety, and not performing to the best of your abilities. And if you want to perform to the best of your abilities daily in your personal and professional life, you must focus on things you can control. Let me tell you this. If you or someone you know struggles with mental health, be aware that the message submit the stigma is divided in two parts, self-stigma and social stigma. And in my opinion, the most important stigma that you need to submit is the self-stigma because you have no control of the social stigma or what others are going to say or do. So focus on you. There's a reason why when something happens during a flight, they instruct you to put the mask on you first so then you can help others. I see the same way with mental health. Put the mask on you first. Submit the mental health self-stigma first because you can control. Practice self-acceptance. Not the type, I am who I am, uh, love or hate me, it is what it is. But rather saying to yourself, I am a human being with good and not so good qualities and I'll keep working daily to improve my not so good qualities and to keep my negative patterns under control. You cannot control the mental health social stigma. However, you can influence the outcome by submitting the social stigma by spreading the message. But don't forget about yourself. Take responsibility for your mental health. Recognize that you need help and reach out to help and speak about it. I did and it changed my life and it can change yours or someone that you know as well. The shame resilience theory is real. Is this self-discovery process easy? Absolutely not. It can be very painful. And if it was easy, everyone would do it. However, it's worth it. Support Aaron's message at www.submitthestigma.org. Oh, We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.